Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Grace Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer, and I'm excited to bring you a wonderful conversation with a special guest I have on the show today. Colin Raddick is a former professional baseball player who now coaches at the University of Richmond, and he's a devoted husband to wife Holland and recent father to baby girl Hunter. He's gone through some unique transitions in his life and is here to bring you a powerful perspective on navigating necessary endings as well as finding your identity in Christ and living for a bigger why in your life. Colin is also going to share his take on the mental health crisis of our time and how it's manifesting itself in the college sports atmosphere he works in, shedding some light on how coaches, teachers, mentors, and people of influence can engage the mental health issue of today. You're not going to want to miss this, so let's check out my conversation with Colin Raddick. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome a good friend of mine to the podcast today to talk about transitions, identity, and so much more. Colin, it's great to have you here with us. Hey, Catherine. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to just begin, first of all, by just saying that I personally believe we're shaped on so many levels by our beginnings. So I'd love to begin by asking you to talk a bit about your childhood what life was like for you growing up and what seeds were planted that perhaps prepared you later for certain life choices and experiences that we'll unpack in detail here in a bit. Yeah, I grew up, um, I guess part of my, uh, like life, I grew up in California and then spent some time in Texas. So I don't really remember a ton of my time in California. I moved to Texas when I was uh, in third grade, I guess I was like eight or nine or something like that. And, um, yeah, absolutely loved Austin, Texas, um, you know, grew up in an awesome family, you know, definitely learned good values from them. You know, they taught me, you know, hard work. They taught me how to love people, um, be compassionate, be generous. And, uh, throughout my early life, definitely, um, fell in love with baseball. That's kind of probably what shaped a lot of my life as I, you know, as I, as I look ahead, um, you know, just loved, loved playing, loved the game, played a lot of sports when I was younger, but baseball was definitely the one that um, really caught my attention and the one that I, I loved the most. So, you know, as I look ahead, you know, going middle school, high school, that's definitely where most of my time was spent was on the baseball field, traveling. Um, you know, when I wasn't, when I was younger, when I wasn't playing baseball, I was watching it and all that stuff. So uh, that was definitely like a centerpiece of my life. Um, and as I, you know, definitely looking ahead into, you know, college and post-college, um, it's interesting thinking about like a lot of my decisions and a lot of the, the paths that I took were because of my love for baseball mm-hmm. um, early on. And definitely when I think about like the things that define me the most now, uh, which I would say, you know, family and my faith and things like that, it was definitely um, baseball that kind of led me to different opportunities and different places. So um, yeah, that's a, uh, hopefully that answers your question. Speaking of your faith, I know that by the time that you reached college, you had developed a, a pretty solid spiritual foundation playing for two summers with athletes in action, as well as going on a couple mission trips with them. Was faith always a part of your life or was that sort of a later development for you? Um, a little bit of both. So I, I grew, again, I grew up in a family where like, I went to church. That was like a, um, that was something that my parents felt very uh, strongly about as they wanted me to go to church. They wanted me to grow up in church. 
Um, so, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, that was definitely something I did and we were involved in church. Um, I would say until I got to college, my freshman year, um, I was really just like attending church, but I didn't really know, um, much about what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was, um, even, even though, like, as I look back, you know, in middle school, high school, I had a lot of great leaders, including my parents who, um, you know, definitely showed me scripture, taught me scripture, but for whatever reason, I just wasn't in a place in that time where I really understood what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It really was when I got out of the house, when I got out on my own mm -hmm. and started, um, you know, making, I guess, more like adult decisions and having to, um, you know, be out in the real world. Uh, when it, when I really started to question, like, what is, faith and what um what does you know the gospel mean to me and start starting to and it really started to like wrestle through some of those tough questions i grew up in um a, a a city or a small town in austin where pretty much everybody went to church nobody really questioned um their beliefs and things like that there were a lot of people i would say who were a little more superficial with their faith but when i got to college at hendrix college in um in conway arkansas um, it was pretty, pretty, really the first time that um, I was around a lot of people who were not believers and then also mm -hmm. people who really spoke strongly against um, against scripture, against the Bible, right? Really like, you know, didn't believe it. And that was just kind of crazy to me. It was like, it was weird for me to, to interact with people mm -hmm. who um, who didn't believe scripture or who were, again, had very strong opinions against scripture. So it kind of forced me to answer some of those tough questions myself. And it was um, early in my freshman year of college that um, I, I would say I started a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You had a storied career at Hendrix. Uh, you became an All-American. You set many school records. And if I'm not mistaken, you became the first player to be drafted out of that college in like 20 years or something. Mm -hmm. Obviously, God had given you an athletic talent. But can you also share a bit how you learned to build a healthy relationship with success? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I would still say I don't really have a, a healthy relationship with success. Mm -hmm. It's a work in progress. It's something um, it, it's, it's very it, it's, it's funny because, you know, God got a hold of my life through baseball. Like if it wasn't for me going to Hendrix, um, some of the people that were in my life, um, you know, I would say I would not be following Jesus today. So it's interesting, my story, because like God has done so many awesome things through my life because of baseball, but it's also the thing that I wrestle with the most when it comes to like, um, how do you handle, you know, following Jesus and world and having worldly success. So um, while I was a believer at Hendrix, you know, I spent four years chasing down this dream of professional baseball. And it was really all I wanted, right? I was all I wanted was to be an All-American, was to set records, to get drafted. Um, and to me, I really felt deep down, I was like, man, if I could get these things, it'll really fulfill me. And it'll give me what, like, what my heart wants, that little hole in my heart that, you know, wants more. Um, as I look back at it, the big thing that I really desired wasn't necessarily professional baseball. It was just to be able to, you know, look at myself in the mirror and believe that I've accomplished something right to be able to like walk down the street and have people look at me and say like, man, that guy is like going somewhere. I wanted people's mm -hmm. approval and I wanted my own approval. 
Um, and baseball was just what I was really good at. So, you know, that, that gave me a really strong work ethic and I worked really hard and was able to achieve a lot of things. Um, and in the midst of that, like, while I'm pursuing that, I'm also, you know, being discipled by guys learning, um, about Jesus, learning about my faith. And I really see these, like this tension build of like, Hey, I'm really working for my own worldly success. Um, while also trying to put, push forth the kingdom and, um, die to myself. And those were things that I really battled with. And I would say, I didn't really completely understand, um, what it means to die to yourself until I got everything that I wanted. Right. I, I set all these records. I graduate from Hendrix. I get drafted. I show up in the first day, um, to state college, Pennsylvania as a St. Louis Cardinal, which was my, my dream, right. That's all I wanted was to be a professional baseball player and, um, realize in that moment, like, okay, this isn't as good as I thought it was. Right. Mm. So I always say in my testimony, it's, God gave me everything that I, I wanted to show me that it wasn't enough. And um, it was that moment where I, I think I need, I needed that to be able to understand that, Hey, um, no matter what I, I dream of accomplishing, like those things are minuscule compared to the glory of God. Um, so it's still something I have to, I, I wrestle with because I, I have that, I guess you could say like a worldly drive to be successful, to be somebody. And, and you know, like, that's not a bad thing. Um, but for me, it really led to, um, again, me just wanting success for myself when I would say like, really the things I, I began to learn and I have learned is that the gospel is, is very different from us just wanting our own success, right? It's us dying to ourselves and us, um, us saying, Hey, we're going to do this all for the glory of God and not for the glory of mm -hmm. ourselves. So, um, it's, it's still a learning experience for me. It's still something I wrestle with, but I'd like to think, you know, every day, every year, um, I, I begin to understand those things a little bit better. The St. Louis Cardinals draft you in the 20th round of the 2014 MLB draft. And you then go on to three successful seasons in the minor leagues. Most people have no idea what life at the lower levels of professional baseball is like. So could you just share just a little bit briefly what it was like for you and how it challenged your, your faith and forced you to grow as a player and as a person? I know you touched a little bit on that. And also just what opportunities you saw got open for you to use that platform to make a difference. Yeah, it's um, the lower levels of the minor leagues are, are definitely, I mean, everybody says it, right? They're tough, they're grind. It's, it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of baseball um you don't have the amenities of you know a nice college or you know um like major league baseball um so it's it's uh it, it it wears on you more like it's a lot of games obviously you know in a full season you're playing 150 plus games with with spring training but i'd say um for the majority of guys it's more of a grind like mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. more than the physical side um just being able to handle like the pressure of, of, of having to perform every day, you know, people like, you know, the, the Cardinals were an unbelievable organization. There were a lot of people within the organization that I felt really cared about me, but at the same time with like professional baseball, you're kind of on your own. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to win, you're on a team and that, that stuff's important, but everybody's really pushing their own agenda, right? They're trying to climb, they're trying to perform. So when you start to struggle, like, you know, you're kind of on this Island where like nobody really cares because there's somebody that can come to replace you or, you know, you'll just, you know, get benched for a few days, whatever. 
um, it's really just this like system and you're just kind of like a pawn in the system. So um, yeah, dealing, learning to deal with that pressure was very difficult for me. Um, I really rode the highs and the lows, um, which in professional baseball, you just, you can't because, you know, you have a great game and then literally, you know, 15 hours, you're going to play another game. Or if you're terrible, right, the next day, it's a new game. Nobody, nobody remembers. Um, so that was, that was really challenging for me was, was dealing with the highs and the lows. And I think the hardest thing too was dealing with your performance being on display for everybody, right? Like you walk mm -hmm. up to the plate, you look up on the jumbotron, you see all your stats, right? So you either feel really good about those stats or like, you don't want to look at them, right? But they're right there. It's hard not to see them. Um, and then also like people, you know, people who love you, who are keeping up with you and stuff, like want to see me succeed. You know, you have a bad game and you get a bunch of text messages and people are like, Hey, hang in there. It's okay. Right. And that was, that was hard for me because I always felt like I, I had, like, there were a lot of people that, um, you know, wanted to see me succeed. And for whatever reason that I felt that just added pressure to me, maybe some, un, you know, unneeded pressure. Um, and I always, I always say like, sports you know if you're in professional sports that's really the only time where people care about how you're doing like in your job like if you're you know if you're a um you know, like even if you're like a dentist like people aren't looking up how you did that day they're not looking at your stats and saying like man how, how good were you with your clients and things like that um, it's only in professional sports where people can just literally get a live feed of how you're playing and things like that and uh, again, I thought that was what I wanted. Like, I felt like when I got into professional baseball, I was like, I want that identity where people see me as a baseball player. Um, but then it became hard on me where I wanted, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a little more hidden at times. Like I wanted to do my own thing and not have all this on display to the world. Um, but it's a challenge. Again, it's like emotionally, it's, it's mentally a challenge where you got to deal with those pressures and the guys, you know, the guys who make it to the top are the ones that are, are able to handle that. Three years into this minor league adventure, newly married in with what most would consider still a lot of untapped potential left for you in the sport. You decide to walk away, take us through that process and how you came to the conclusion, probably against the opinion of some in your life that it was time to retire. Yeah. So my wife and I, Holland, um, she, we got married, um, in January of 2016. Um, and you know, it was, it's hard in any relationship when you're like, you know, when you're doing distance and things like that, um, a, a baseball season is even tougher because you have like an off season where you're with your, you're, you're with your person, right? Like for five months and you're together all the time. And then you just pack it up and leave and you're, and you're gone for a long time. Um, so it's hard. And then it's again, especially within the, the, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of the season, like the, you know, you, the person you love the most, you, you want them with you. You want, you want to have them, uh, you know, with you physically and stuff. And, um, you know, you just don't get that luxury a lot of times in professional baseball. So it was, it was definitely challenging. Um, and, you know, Holland was, was still in school at the time. So she was doing that and finishing up her stuff. And um, yeah, I just got to a point, I, I think where, you know, she, big like kudos to holland the big thing that she kept saying was she wanted she really supported me and said like i don't want you to walk away from this because of me um and i i just felt like for myself i had my, my passions were shifting you know i had almost felt like i had gotten everything i had wanted to out of my baseball career 
and I was ready, really, I was ready to start coaching. That's where I felt like, you know, uh, felt like my passions were pulling me, you know, I, that's, that's really what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, ended up hanging it up in the middle of the season after I got a concussion um, and, you know, have definitely haven't regretted it. Uh, but yeah, it was really, it was really challenging. I think there were a lot of people who, you know, it, it makes sense. They love you and they're invested in you and they want to see you make it to the top, right. Make it to the big leagues. And, you know, I had uh, up until that point in my career, I, I think I was on a, a good progression to have maybe gotten there. Right? Who knows? Um, at least a lot of people felt like I could have gotten there. So I think it was hard for them, right? It's hard because they were so excited for me. And uh, it was something that they were very invested in. And, um, you know, it's hard to see, you know, it was hard for them to see me walk away. But, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, they, you know, they understood it. And, um, you know, they respected it. So um, I think the biggest thing is people just wanted to make sure I wasn't like doing something I would regret later, which I that we, you know, definitely talked, you know, with a lot of people beforehand and made sure I was in that space where this wasn't just like a knee jerk reaction, but it was something that uh, I really needed to do. But it was, it was, it was the most difficult decision I've had to make in my life was stepping away from professional baseball, no doubt. For many stepping away from something like that, that they've worked so hard for and leaving whatever might've been on the table would be difficult. Experts talk about the fact that having a bigger why in your life is essential to being able to walk away. I think you kind of touched on a little bit, but what helped you sort out the pros and cons of that decision? And what, if anything, was your bigger why in terms of moving in a different life direction? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. It's yeah. Like you really have to know, I mean, it was a, it was a great time for me in the sense of like figuring out my identity, like who I was and also like who I wasn't. That's, that was the biggest thing was um, I, I wrestled with that kind of thing of like, Hey, do I really want to be a major league baseball player? Like, cause that's what you, that's why you play minor league baseball. Like you're not playing minor league baseball to play minor league baseball your whole life. You're playing to make it to the big leagues. And um. I, I really had to like look at myself in the mirror and ask myself that question because it's, it's kind of a silly question. Cause it's like, well, of course you want to be a major league baseball player. Like that's what I wanted my whole life. That's what everybody wants. Right. Even adults, right. If they could give it all up to play major, like a professional sport, like at the highest level and, you know, make all the money and get to play in the big games in front of people, like they would do that. That's all they want. So it kind of felt weird for me to, say that out loud to be like, I don't really want to be a major league baseball player, right? There's something else that I want. There's something, there's other things that my, that um, my passions are, are leading me to. Um, but I think once I accepted that and just kind of like, just admitted that to myself and didn't feel like I needed to um, help people understand it. Like, I think, I think that was, again, my, like my, my, my uh, drive to please people really affected this decision it probably made me um delay that decision probably longer than i should have mm -hmm. because i was so afraid of what people would think and so afraid of how am i going to explain this to people when really i think deep down it was like i don't it's it's okay if i don't if i can't explain it to people it's okay if people don't understand um this is like my life. This is, you know, it's my, it's now me and my wife too, right? I got to make a decision that's best for my wife and my family. Um, and I think I just had to come to terms with, 
who I was and what, where I wanted to go with my life. Right. Like the worst thing I could do is continue to do this for a few more years, even though I didn't really want to just because I felt like everybody else wanted me to. Um, it was kind of freeing once I, once I admitted that didn't make it easier. Like definitely didn't make the situation easier, but it, it felt better. It felt right. You know, as you know, one hard aspect of stepping away from something meaningful is that it takes a while to live your way into the results or perhaps the inner peace of that decision. Have there been any moments or conversations or just experiences in general that have been, I guess, confirming in your decision uh, since you chose to walk away that have kind of given you faith that it was the right thing? Yeah, I mean, I, shoot, everything, everything in my life, like, you know, what's led me to this point, um, you know, I would have never been at Richmond um, if it wasn't for like stepping away from baseball that summer in 2016. I've been at Richmond now for uh, five years, my wife and I, and we absolutely love it. Like, you know, we're, we're here, this is our home. Um, and just thinking about uh, the relationships I've made with, you know, coaches and players, um, being able to coach at University of Richmond. None of, I mean, none of those would, I mean, it, it, my life would be completely different if I would have delayed that decision for a year or if I would have, you know, kept playing, whatever. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy to think that really everything, everything in my life, like literally everything in my life, except for my wife, like, you know, we, we would have still been married and stuff, but um, where we live, my job, what I do on a daily basis, the people I'm closest with would be completely different if I hadn't have made that decision. Um, and I mean, it's so assuring to me, especially, you know, in the last five years when I've had to make other difficult decisions, just knowing that, Hey, you know, you can press into these times, right? Hey, these times are tough. Making tough decisions is a challenge, but like there's all in the future, there's always going to be moments where you look back at the time and you're thankful for, you know, the things you've learned and the decisions you've made. Um, and, you know, I would say for us, it's, it's just worked out so well and we're so, we're so thankful and we feel, you know, so blessed by the Lord and, um, you know, thankful for where we live and the relationships we have. If someone's listening today who is facing a challenging transition in their life and is wrestling with whether or not it's time to make a necessary change, what advice can you give them from your experience about how to properly grieve that transition and how to start over with the next chapter in their life story? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a, um, there's a verse in Proverbs where it says, uh, man plans his way, but the Lord guides his steps. I really like that verse because I think sometimes we like to over-spiritualize decisions that we have. Cause I think there are decisions that we make where we can like crack open scripture and we can see like it's like a you know it's a right or wrong thing you're like hey i i need i need to make this decision and scripture clearly says hey this is what you this is the decision you make if you're looking to glorify god right but i think there's a lot of like big decisions that we have in our lives that aren't necessarily like right or wrong decisions they're very much based on um us like what we what just the the, the choice that we make so um my advice would be you know counsel people uh, find good counsel with people who you really trust, who know you well, and um, talk through decisions and talk through, you know, why maybe you're deciding this versus this or whatever, get their advice. 
And then at the end of the day, you just have to make a decision, right? You have to do what you feel is best. Um, you know, when I stepped away from professional baseball, I, I would, I would say I probably felt about 80% about that decision. I definitely didn't feel a hundred percent. Right. Hmm. Um, but I felt strongly one way and I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to trust my gut. I'm going to trust where hmm. I feel like the Lord's leading me. I'm going to trust the guidance that I've gotten from people. And, um, I'm just going to make the decision, um, in any big decision. I don't think anybody ever feels a hundred percent. If you do feel a hundred percent, you're probably, you know, there's probably a little pride in there because no decision is hundred percent, right? You just have to do what, what you feel is best and, um, and just kind of take the leap. And that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing that I learned, um, as I look back at that decision for myself is you just got to take the leap sometimes. And I'll tell you, at least in my life, and I, I think a lot of people can say the same, a lot of those decisions where I feel like, you know, we've just taken the leap have been some of the best decisions we've ever made. Hmm. And um, those times where you're like, you have that pit in your stomach because you're so nervous. Um, typically what happens after that is like some of the best moments of, have been some of the best moments of our lives. So anytime I feel that pit in my stomach, I'm always, I always think of that. I always think of like, okay, well, what, what's coming in the future is going to be the best moments, right? Because you're faced with this difficult decision. So I think it's allowed Holland and I, at least to, again, just kind of dive into those tough things and not be afraid of them and actually like embrace them. Just say, Hey, this is, this is awesome. Like this is, this is what life's all about. Identity is something that you talk a lot about. Can you unpack that just a little bit, how it's impacted you personally and professionally and also how you think that plays out when it comes to difficult decisions or necessary endings in, in life? Yeah, um, I love, yeah, I love talking about identity, especially um, as a coach, right? I, I, I work with our hitters and especially for young people, um, identity is such a tough word because, you know, we're inundated with media, we're inundated with social media, um, where we're constantly wondering if, if we're enough, right? If we're, um, if we need to be somebody else or, Hey, who I am, isn't good enough. So I think to me, identity is knowing who you are, knowing who you're not. And, um, I've learned that in my playing career, I've learned that in my faith, I've learned that through my profession of being a coach, we always kind of, uh, veer off the path of who we are typically because we feel like there's another better version of ourselves. Like, Hey, if I could just be like this, if I could be more like this person, if I could, Oh man, I need to be this. Right. Um, and then a lot of times we tend to get away from who we are. And the thing that I've learned, especially in my profession, um, as a coach is be the best at who you are. And that's something that I, I talk to our hitters about, um, with their athletics performance, right. Is don't worry about, trying to be like somebody else like there's always a pull the, the other people are always a pull for us we all it always seems better if we can be like them or have their life or um you know have their abilities or whatever but we operate the best and we are the most successful when we are just living like our best selves and um again another thing i tell our players is there's nobody like you on the planet right that you can't go online you can't read a book about how to be your best self because nobody knows who you and there isn't another version of you and there never will be a version like you so your journey 
and your um, identity is completely new, unique to you and be okay with not being like other people. That's another thing that I've really struggled with is it's always a pull, I think, to want to be like other people, right? When really we admire those that are super individual, right? There's nothing, there's nobody like that person. So be that yourself, you know, be, be okay with not looking like other people. Mm-hmm. And I would even say if your views, if, if the way you think about life, the way you think about your profession, if it lines up like completely with the rest of the world, then um, you might need to check yourself because, you know, that means those people might be playing into how you think and, and your own identity, like find your own path and be okay with um, living that out. I want to shift gears here just a bit since this is a mental health podcast and we talk a lot about how your attitude and your outlook affects your productivity in the arena of life from how we handle failure to how we deal with adversity or even like with your story, how we walk away from something. Can you talk just a little bit about the mental side of things and what you've learned there personally, both as a Christian and an athlete? Yeah. Um, yeah, the mental, I mean, the mental side of, especially again, I'm, I'm a coach and a former athlete. So like, you know, I would say the mental side is everything. Like when it comes to performance in, in the athletic realm, especially, you know, I'm, I'm a division one coach. So we're dealing with, you know, some of the top college athletes in the world. And when you talk about professionally, that's, that's even, you know, higher up. Um, what differentiates people and success tends to be less about ability and more about um, their mentality. So I think it's how you handle success, how you handle failure, how you handle big moments. And um, I think there's a lot of people who just have a natural gifting to be able to handle those things. But I also really believe that those are all things that can be learned, right? Handling difficult times, handling success, handling failure. Those are all ways where we can actually kind of rewire how we think about um, different situations, um, through, you know, all sorts of different things. So I think for, um, you know, at least for myself, when I talk about that with training athletes, I've tried to do that for myself too, is kind of try to understand why I respond to different situations in different ways. And, um, you know, something I tell my players that I have to remind myself of too, is to not judge yourself and how you responded in the past but just kind of learn from it. Right. So, um, you know, for example, like I really try to, uh, I try to put my players in difficult situations as much as I can in practices uh, because those are perfect times to start having those conversations of why they struggled to handle those in in, in maybe a positive or beneficial way. So that when they get into the game, when they experience those feelings again, which they are going to experience those, right those negative feelings, those, you know, those voices in your head that are giving you negative self-talk, they're able to work through those. So um, I guess through all that, like in summary, one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, the most successful people, so when you talk about athletes or, you know, going back to your question of like the most mentally healthy people, they don't, um, they don't, they don't like uh, not deal with negative self-talk. They don't, Um, They're not just like incredible at dealing with adversity just by their own nature. They're just extremely good at understanding their own feelings and how they respond to those things. And they're able to work through that. 
Um, and that comes with a lot of time and it comes with a lot of experience, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. Um, along those lines, most of us are aware that mental health is becoming one of the biggest health issues of our time. As a college coach, are you noticing its effect on your players? And if so, um, what measures are you taking as a coaching staff to provide support for those who may be dealing with mental and emotional issues off the field? And also what specific advice would you give to a coach, a teacher, a mentor, any influential figure in someone's life, how to approach and foster a healthy environment for mental wellness and personal growth? And that's, yeah, that's the million dollar question. So especially in college athletics, I mean, there is, um, I think there's always been a mental health issue in college athletics. I think it's just more mainstream now and we maybe know mm -hmm. how to diagnose certain things but it's always been there right like it's all because because again these are people who um are living the lives that a lot of people want to live and they because of that they feel this extreme pressure on themselves um to live up to a certain standard whatever their standard of success is and i think for a lot of sadly for a lot of athletes they don't necessarily have leaders or people in their lives who, who first off, understand what they're going through. And then secondly, I think, um, understand how to kind of foster a good relationship um, with themselves and, um, you know, allow them to like, you know, give, give them space to be able to uh, work through some of these things. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I would say for us, like our coaching staff is tremendous with that. Um, that's something that's a, that's a reason why I've been here as long as I have and have worked with pretty much the same coaches this whole time is um, I think, you know, I think really you have to first truly care about the players and care about their development as people over their on-field success. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and again, I really do think those two things are correlated. So I think as, you know, if you, if you're recruiting talented athletes, which we do, and you're helping them develop as people, they're going to experience on-field success, just like they experience, they're going to experience success in all areas of their lives. But I think it's um, giving them grace when they fail. And again, um, constantly talking through things and give and, and creating an environment where I, it's okay for them to express truly like how they're feeling. That's very cliche, but especially in baseball, um, there's so much failure that hap that takes place. Um, like if, if a hitter just feels completely lost, like I, I love hearing that. I love them finally admitting, like, I feel just so hopeless right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause then from there you can kind of work through those things right. and help them to redefine what success is. Cause I think for a lot of athletes, success is what they see on the scoreboard. Success is what they see in their stats. Yeah. Success is what they see in um, the news article, right, that's written about them, when really, for them, they need to redefine that and say, hey, success is not necessarily having a good game today, like I'm going to perform well, it's how do I prepare? Um, what kind of teammate am I? Um, like all the things that you can control, because sometimes you can control things, and you can do all the things that you control well. And the effort is there, but the results fall short. And in those moments, um players really need to understand like hey that is success because if i do if i repeat that process over and over again i am going to ex experience success in the long run but um 
yeah, giving giving them space to fail, giving that redefining success for them, and then just creating an environment where they're able to be open and uh, heard and understood, I think is super important. Whenever a guest comes on the podcast, I always like to ask them as we wrap up a bit, if they could sum up their journey in a scripture verse, a quote, or an idea, um, what would it be? And I kind of am curious to know what, what that would be for you. Yeah, uh, favorite verse, First Peter uh, chapter 1, 23 through 25. I, I heard that um, when I was in college, when I was kind of going through um, the struggles and the grind of baseball. Um, and it says, it's actually a quote from an Old Testament scripture in Isaiah, where it says, all people like grass are, sorry, all people are like grass and their glory is a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, so that's my favorite verse because I think about like, man, my, I think about man's glory. So what is man's glory? It's success, it's money, it's fame, it's whatever we build in our mind. And it says that that will fade and that will cease to exist someday. So I'm always reminded of, hey, all these things that we're pursuing, these are good things. This is, these are, this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to work. We're meant to work hard. But all these achievements that we have are going to someday be forgotten. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when Jesus returns, none of it will matter anymore. So the rest of the verse says, um, and the, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So that's something that I hold true in my, I try to hold true in my life is checking myself to say, what's the most important thing in my life. And um, I think according to that verse, the most important thing in our lives is our relationship with uh, Jesus, because that's the only thing that lasts forever, right? Everything in our lives will fade. Everything, um, everything will, will be forgotten, but our relationships with uh, Jesus will last forever. We get to be with him for eternity. So um, yeah, that's my favorite verse. As we close today, what final thoughts do you want to leave with our audience in light of all we've discussed today about um, success and transitions and identity and mental health and kind of the whole thing? Yeah, um, I think it's okay. Like one thing I've, I've, I wish if I could speak to my 18-year-old self, I would tell myself it's okay to go through hard things. Um, I think you know, in our country, you know, we've, we, we, we feel like we need comfort and we need um, rest and we need, right. We need to um, not go through uncomfortable things, but I think the most important thing for us is to have uncomfortable things in our lives, to have hard times and to learn how to work through them and to always view those things as, as positives. Um, because ultimately when you talk about I think mental health, it's no different than physical health, where it's like exercise, right? Exercise is about breaking down. It's about yeah. um, pushing. It's about diving into hard things, right? Nobody, nobody wants to lift heavy weights. Nobody wants to run a mile as fast as they can because those things are, they hurt and they're painful, but we do them because of the, the, the good that it produces in us. So um, that's what I always encourage our, our players with is, hey, don't shy away from the tough times. Um, dig into those times and, and run towards them. Um, so I think in, um, you know, in my own journey and then hearing other people's journeys, um, I think that's, that's always something that I, I come back to is to, to embrace, embrace the struggle and embrace the discomfort because it builds, uh, it builds good things. Thank you, Colin, for taking the time to join us today and share your experience and your wisdom with us.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Much appreciation once again to Colin for coming on the podcast today to talk about his personal journey and also to share his wisdom regarding the mental health and identity issues so many face today. And thank you for listening and taking the time to join us today in this amazing discussion. I'll be back next week for another episode of Grace Moments, but in the meantime, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast as well as connect with me through my weekly blog, www graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also reach me on social media by visiting my Twitter, Instagram, Parlor, MeWe, or True Social pages and contacting me there. Whatever difficulties or battles you may be dealing with this week, just know that God is there with you, and so am I. And don't forget that grace will always meet you where you are.